0: So if you're a business owner, you probably are using Facebook Marketplace for something. We use it specifically in our property management company to be able to advertise various apartment units that we might have available in many different types of cities. And we've noticed a 45% increase when we do this one little thing. And this is something that you should absolutely be doing if you are using any type of messaging service to be able to advertise pretty well anything in business, right? So one of the things that we've all heard is just how complicated it is to be able to get people's attention today and how studies have shown that it takes 13 interactions with someone before they will notice whatever your advertisement is. So we've noticed about a 45% increase when we send multiple messages to one particular inquiry, right? So let's just say that someone responds and asks if a unit is available if we just typed one long text out and essentially just have one message that gets sent back out that relays all the information to the people that is going to have what we found about a 45% decrease in interaction as compared to if you were to chunk these things up and send multiple messages to someone on one simple question, right? So some of the things that we're doing is, again, let's just say that someone asks, is this available? We would say, yes, it is available, and then hit send. Can I help answer any questions? Hit send. Or would you like to schedule a showing? hit send. We have a calendar set up so that it's really easy to choose a day and time that work for you. Hit send. So rather than sending one long sentence, break that up into multiple messages and you're going to have a much, much better response rate on whatever it is that you are advertising. If you're a business owner looking to grow your net worth by investing in real estate, go ahead and check us out at investinsquarefeet.com. We are a group of entrepreneurs who are all investing together in various different real estate opportunities to be able to grow our net worths together. All right, we've got a really amazing episode here today. We have Stuart Heath with us who has been investing for many years and We've all heard the riches are in the niches, right? Stuart Heath has an interesting niche that he has been focused on for a good number of years, and that is medical office rental. So these might be dentist office, or maybe it's even some type of a medical community where there's a, a number of different doctors and medical professionals all in a complex or a condo complex together. So we're going to learn from Stuart here today, what to look for and how to uncover those great types of opportunities.
1: I did one fix and flip. And at the end of it, I'm going to count it. I figured out I made a dollar an hour. (laughs) And so, yeah, this is not the way, (laughs) but actually I had several clients that are still my clients today. I have a very small practice, but uh, these days, but, uh, There was a lady who basically became a real estate agent because their other income sources for the family had dried up, kids in college, all this kind of stuff. And so she went and within a year, she was the leading salesperson at that firm. Mm -hmm. And that continued year after year. And they finally gave her home parking spot just to take her out of the monthly sales competition Mm -hmm. so somebody else could win. And she was doing fix and flips, and I would just started watching. Sometime about the year 2000, she'd been my client for 10 years at that point. Uh, but uh, literally watching late night TV, taking break from doing taxes, probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and there was this guy who used to do infomercials, Carlton Sheets, and I, he'd probably been doing infomercials 10 years at that point. And so anyway, I'm watching okay, it's a $199 money-back guarantee. So I bought it. And I started listening to the tapes and, and thinking, like, I can do this. And, and so within 60 days, I'd bought a duplex um, in the hood. Um, but it worked just exactly like he said. And being the entrepreneurial guy, all right, I can scale this. So my next deal was 14 duplexes, a, a group of them. All together. All all at one time. Uh, They were all right next to each other, one seller. But I found it in, because Sheets was thing number one. You got to find a deal. Go through the classified ads. That's back when we actually had daily newspapers with classified ads. Matter of fact, if I had to do that today, I don't know where I would even start. (laughs) Uh, And and sure enough, found it. And and like anything, you kiss a lot of frogs. He probably made a hundred phone calls to come up with that deal. And that guy that I bought those from, is he's running around today. He does basically no money down how to do real estate on cruise ships. Robert oh, wow. Sheeman, I think, is his name, in case you've ever heard of him. We don't talk much, but we're still friends. And and, and But that was a pretty good-sized deal. That ended up being eight or $900,000. And mm-hmm. I think we later sold that for a million and a half, that portfolio. But from there, I had the opportunity. I at first invested with a in in a construction company that was building homes around South Nashville, the Franklin area, and then I said, "I like this. I got my own contractor's license," and so then I was building houses. That's something I don't want to do again. There's too many details, not enough margin. So I'd say my path has been pretty good about showing me things that I don't want to do. And so building houses, then we bought some more land and we built some office condos in the Cool Springs area which was great. And I bought some residential condos and rehab those and, and all about all of this was going on. It's about 2007 and which is when the world started to change what happened here a year and a half or so ago with the interest rates, different causes, different reasons. But 2007, I just tell you, so I bought all 72 units. I had 15 units of rentals in this particular condo complex. There were 72 units. So I just started systematically buying up everyone that came on the market, and then when I got seventy-two, um, we started rehabbing them all. And, and because Beezer Homes and whoever else in, in that area, they'd go build townhomes and they'd sell thirty of them in one weekend. I was like, "Great, I can do that." Sure enough, uh, we had we, we worked on them all the fall of uh, two thousand six, and so. The second or third weekend of January of 07, we had a grand opening. And we had rehabbed 24 completely, put those on the market, and I sold 28 that weekend. I was like, boom, I'm meeting my business plan. But, and, and we followed through and delivered on what closed all those, and as well as the ones we hadn't finished yet that we took contracts on. And it was great. But after that, I didn't sell another one for another year the world had changed. And I was a bit highly leveraged. i say all this to say, all of this led to a pretty big reversal of fortune on my part in 2008. It highly leveraged, had done everything basically with debt and no real equity or anything like that. And so that basically led to me giving most everything back to the bank. And then I had to go back to the drawing board for a few years.
2: Yep, and and what type of drawing board did you go back to? What were some of those steps that you started doing again to be able to reestablish yourself and get get back rolling again on the the right path?
1: First thing I did is I went and got a a job, I got a level job with a retail concern outside of Huntsville, and a few years there, got back to the Nashville area when I took a CFO job for a Christian media company up there, and. Those guys are still my friends. I helped lead them through a layoff in 2017 because they were severely impacted by the, uh, you may have heard artists talk about how streaming has hurt their business. Same thing has happened to the video people. We were selling $4 million a year, as I recall, of DVDs. That kind of changed in 2015 as streaming started to overtake the DVD market. I'm still surprised when I walk through Walmart and I see big bins of DVDs. Of course, Mm -hmm. they're... 2 and $3 now, not the $22 we were selling them for. But I guess some people still watch those. So anyway, I managed to lay off. Really set it up as multi-stage, but I was in the first round. But then in 2017, all right, I'm back on my own feet, and I just started up my consulting side again. And this time I wanted to go all fractional CFO, Business and of course, my former employer was my first client, and I picked up several more along the way. And and it got a fairly large not for profit that I still do work with now. But I never really did lose my love for real estate. It's not real estate's fault that that I capitalized them wrong. You, You always have to be prepared for the unknown. So in 2021, we started, I say, we formed a board under the name of Harvard Grace. And so we decided we were going to go do syndicated, stabilized properties that cash flow. And we actually started it in, I think, February of 2020. But then there was this thing called the the pandemic. Perhaps you've heard of it. And uh, it just, all right. And you probably could have gotten back to it and raising some capital in the latter part of 2020. But uh, Frankly, that was one of the best financial years I've ever had. I was doing PPP loans for people I'd never heard of and and starting up new relationships. And so it was a good year to be in the financial consulting business. But I got back to real estate. And in January of 2022, we closed our first office building in uh, south side of Nashville. Since then, we've closed two more properties, all of them very boring stabilized, cash flowing. It, they're all full for mm-hmm. the most part. Of course, we have ter- tenant turnover and things like that and, and throwing off good cash flow. And, and that's what the investors that I've attracted want. They want cash flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like to say, if, if you've got too much excitement in your investments, then you're investing in the wrong things.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And is it all office space that you have at this point yeah. or what are the asset classes?
1: Our first one was a suburban office building, uh, which means doctors, dentists, mortgage companies, things like that. Our second acquisition was a fairly large RV and boat storage facility uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, that we bought from the seller. And then we bought a medical office building uh, this past May. I think knock on wood, I'm about to get a contract to purchase uh, another retail building in in Madison, Alabama, just outside of, of Huntsville. That's uh, an interesting one. We've been we, I've been dancing with those guys for almost a year, and maybe we're about
2: to have some terms. Yeah, that's great. Talk a little bit about your approach finding an, a cash flowing asset that that isn't overpriced or anything. Just talk a little bit about that process because obviously most most assets, maybe they're value-add properties, what have you, they're not cash flowing today. The prospectus says, if you do this and you can get rents to here, then it will cash flow. Are, are you guys only going in and only purchasing properties that are cash flowing day one, or is it where you're... So yeah, Yeah. let me just finish that thought. So they are acquiring assets that are cash flowing day one. So talk a little bit about that process of being able to uncover those particular opportunities. And what are the situations, would you say, most people find themselves in where they're looking to sell that particular asset that is cash flowing? Are there certain things that maybe people are going through where they need to get rid of a particular cash flowing asset? That's
1: an excellent question (laughs) Uh, because actually my whole MO is I want as many cash flowing assets as I can possibly garner. Uh, And and, uh, because to me, it's one of the most valuable things that you can hold, especially when they're properly managed. Our firm is never going to be one where we got a new deal every month. Okay. That's never who we're going to be because... One, we are limited in our geography in our, uh, because we won't do anything that we can't get to within an hour. It's, it's exceptionally difficult because there's a lot of just misunderstandings and outright bad advice that property owners get out there. So the situations that we most often come across are people let's just say there's a whole category of people who have no business owning commercial property whatsoever. Our first acquisition was from a not-for-profit and they had owned the building for 20 years and and it had been mismanaged. and, And frankly, the equity in the building had saved them a few times. They weren't And here's the typical scenario. You got somebody who just does not understand a long-term multi-tenant lease scenario. It's not like renting your house where you can change up the deal every year or every six months, depending on how long that tenant might last. Once you write a three or a five-year deal with a tenant, that's now can be golden handcuffs if you wrote it really good, but you're not getting out of it unless they default. And so the typical scenario that you come across, you got somebody who doesn't understand it. My my word for that is has no business owning it. And they have stacked up their property with a whole bunch of undermarket leases, or just bad leases, bad structure, you know, maybe the landlord's paying all the utilities. And, and there's just all kinds of cost segments that that the landlord typically does not pay. And if you're not tied into that market, then you do not understand. So what I've had a fair amount of success doing is sitting down, put my CPA hat on, and I said, look, here is the value of your building today based upon the leases you have signed. This one is going to renew next year. And I go ahead and tell them, don't renew that lease. You got to do a new lease. And they should be paying their own utilities and done so I tell them uh, And so generally what happens is they realize that's either something they don't want to do or they're not qualified to do. And we typically will come back at a price that I've backed into and calculated. Uh, sometimes it takes months. I just mentioned the one I'm waiting on a contract on right now that uh, it's close to a year and and that one has a little bit more to do with um, interest rates raising every month. It seems like last year. But at the end of the day, how we analyze the building is we will take the cash flow. You know, just call it year one net operating income. We try to get that where you know, one it's got to finance a seventy percent loan to value at a one point two times debt service coverage. Mm-hmm. From that excess cash flow. Uh, I've got to be able to pay investors, of which I'm always one as well. I've got to pay investors at least a 5% cash on cash return year one. And I've got to be able to see that getting to double digit cash on cash return within three and a half years. So that's our MO. Nothing magic to it. If a seller has properly managed their building, I'm probably not going to get that deal. Because there are... Family offices and other types out there that that are that don't necessarily need cash flow from day one, but they want to get a good quality property with quality tenants. Mm-hmm. But so those parameters are how are how I look at it. And a lot of people there's still another one down in Huntsville where yeah, they want three point eight million dollars for their property. It's a incredible corner on the main highway there, but their NOI is one hundred twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year. Because they wrote stupid leases, mm-hmm. and so I usually, in my communications, I'm, I'm try to never be condescending. I hope it's never perceived that way. As all right, if you want this price, then you've got to fix all these leases and get them up to market value by this time, and then I say, and that will take you four and a half years. Yeah, to get to that price that you want, and. Yeah, you know, but they're ready to sell now. So to get a successful deal, you need a little bit of I'm done kind of an attitude from
2: the seller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about your, how can I say this? Your ability to endear yourself to the seller, because obviously these are desirable properties, right? And you you said that there's obviously other buyers out there. There's obviously other people out there that are you know willing to purchase these. Do you have any insights or things that you feel like you you do well or you accomplish with the seller so that they feel they want to go with you rather than just going to the next guy who has a better a better opportunity or a better offer for them? Or do you feel like you, maybe these people are in situations where you are the best opportunity that they have?
1: I think that just going back to my CPA training, I just had to learn uh, how to get people's trust because people aren't going to share all their personal financial information with somebody they don't trust. And I think I do that by talking straight to them. Here's the situation you're in. By the way, the IRS is going to come get your house. Uh, Don't be alarmed. That kind of just straight talk and... uh, I don't do a lot of posturing or when I get the chance to actually talk to the seller. Because, again, commercial real estate is a facts and circumstances thing. There's always the possibility that there might be something materially wrong with the structure, which is also can be dealt with. But most of the time, what you have is these people have taken immaculate care of their properties, but... Just didn't use the same care or understand how to do that with their leases. Anyway, I just—I I can't credit it to anything other than 35 years as a CPA and, and talking uh, straight to people about what their situation is, and, and try to never burn a bridge. Uh, I've had several situations where they come back to me as well, we couldn't ever go that low, but just. The medical office building it just we started about, out about a year ago they wanted two and a half million dollars I did the numbers and I said how about a million five no and but there were nobody wanted the building because the doctor who occupied half the building was leaving and and he was retiring whatever and I, I kept telling them what you need to do is to lease up the building. And then you can get probably 2.8, maybe $3 million for the building. Mm-hmm. And, and end of the day, they didn't want to they didn't want to invest the time. They were done. They want to be retired. And I get that and I appreciate that. Because I bought the building for a million six. And now we've filled up almost all the vacancy in four months. And we've got one more to go. And I'm confident that'll be done by the end of Q one of next year but I think it's just being real with people.
2: Yeah. yeah. How about, you've mentioned how people have a hard time leasing these buildings out and then you're able to come in and do it relatively quickly. Are you putting any type of money into these properties to improve them? Is it better marketing, would you say? Or how are you getting these things leased out when other people aren't able to lease them out? Or is it just that they're not even trying to lease them out?
1: They may be trying, but I think in the commercial leasing business, there is such a thing as a network that the commercial office brokers all share and they're seeing the leads. And I think a lot of them didn't hire the right brokers or didn't hire any broker. And that's not a a world that I travel in. I know a lot of the brokers, Mm -hmm. but uh, no, but I'm not gonna be the first one that hears when somebody's looking for office space, uh, unless it's just a buddy who shares that with me from time to time. I, I would say it's improper marketing. I'm not trying to lease those up myself. You know, the office spaces. Now we do completely manage the storage ourselves and and, and our team does that. Commercial, office leasing, it's a profession. Uh, and, and so you hire the professional to do that. Uh, I think the other thing that a lot of these sellers tended to do, and I think this really comes from the residential mentality, but when somebody's lease came to to an end, they just, oh, you want to stay? Yeah, I want to stay. All right. Same rent? Okay. Yeah, the same rent's okay. I think it's been somewhat exacerbated by the fact that up until two years ago, we hadn't heard about this thing called inflation. Uh, which I grew up with in the 80s. I got out of college in 1985 and it was everyday conversation. But we've got a generation of people or two generations that have never had to deal with inflation. E- even before that, was, I was putting in 2 or 3% bumps in my rent and passing through as many costs um, just because that is the best way to build a lease. It protects the landowner from... But, it, but if you're still sell, renting at 12 bucks a foot just because the guy didn't want to leave. So there's a bit of a fear mentality that a lot of it, because it's not their main thing. The doctor is busy being a doctor. And if his tenant will stay for the same rate, that that's one less thing he has to worry about. Not realizing the impact he just made on a pretty major asset.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. What, what would you say is the, the most surprising thing that you've come across or the thing that had the biggest impact on some of the projects that you've been involved in? And that impact could be desirability, that impact could be monetary, take that however you want. But I'm just curious, if there's anything that comes to mind that you you did this, and you had a big payoff, however, that payoff can be defined. Does anything come to mind there?
1: Yeah, I, I would say it's similar to what we're talking about. To me, what has been so surprising in the, the main broker I work with tells me that I'm unusual. I'm just a bean counter that's <laughs> looking at this. So, To me, even among real estate professionals, the lack of understanding of the financial essence of a piece of real uh, commercial real estate to me it's just financial paper you know that that has toilets in it that has to be fixed with a t- from time to time it, it is and again I'm a numbers geek it just comes natural to me and because I'm just looking at a stream of cash flows and whatever cost I have to incur to keep this, that stream of cash flows coming or and increasing. And nobody looks at it that way. They, they Their biggest uh, experience with real estate is buying and selling a house, which is a per square foot mentality. And that just does not hold water in a commercial realm whatsoever because it's all about the income per square foot. You know, how much income are you getting per square foot? And, and most of the time your house doesn't have income associated with it, unless it's a rental property. And then whoever's buying the rental property is definitely looking at the income. You know, they may look at it and say, well, you're getting $1,000 a month, I can get $1,800. And so they'll pay your price all day long.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: that's the biggest surprise. And it's helped me uh, get three properties so far at some pretty good prices. We don't publish what we think our portfolio is worth today but I'm a year and a half into it and even with interest rates rising I know we're up 20% cuz we bought right. Yeah. That's the biggest lesson in business. Uh, you make your money on the buy, not exactly. the sell.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yep. What is your thought on the whole office rent work from home problem that we have out there right now? Is it, in your opinion, is it more focused on like inner city type office buildings or office buildings in metro areas? Or do you feel office buildings in the more neighborhood? You're in Nashville, so you obviously are in a major metropolitan city as well. But what is it that, I guess, makes you not afraid of an office building, whereas there's other people that are, what are we going to do with all of these office spaces?
1: Excellent question. And I smiled when I figured out that's where you're going. <laughs> Let's just say the national financial media, as it, as usual, has done a pretty poor job of actual analysis. There's at least six major subcategories of office buildings. There's a couple of specialties, uh, but there's medical office, which has zero vacancy issues. I think probably anywhere in the country, uh, your doctor is not getting Amazon and he ain't going remote. You're going to have to go see him. So medical office is golden. There's suburban office, like what I've described, what we have. Some people would actually call that professional retail or whatever, but it's out in the suburbs. And it's where your dentist is, or perhaps it's quasi-retail, quasi-medical office, what a lot of these things are. You'll have like your state farm guy or your dentist or the mortgage company, or we've got three properties where we have national home health care tenants in them uh, because they need some sort of a localized people place for all of their home care people to come and gather in. Uh, and so... There's that category. Uh, And and our Spring Hill property was full when we bought it. It's full now. It's going to be full. And and we've had tenant turnover. But every time we do, um, I mean, it is leased back up before the, the other lease even ends. Because that goes back to the other rule of real estate location. Now, that said, I am not pursuing any Class A office buildings, whether they are be in the suburbs or in downtown. I'm not pursuing anything in the central business district because I like properties, and I think you're safe with properties that whose tenants are customer-facing. That, that to me, is the rule. Yeah. If customers come see them there, you're probably good. All this Class A stuff is where companies used to have places where their employees, went. they don't see anybody there. They're just all there together. And it's nice stuff with your marble bathrooms. And you know, I, I don't think it's dead. I think it will be highly regional as to what's going to happen. And a lot of it will depend upon the company, but I'm not willing to go there just yet. There's going to be some disruption. And if I can uh, get into it after the disruption, that would be my preference, yeah yeah, I think the class A stuff is still has some pain to go through
2: yeah, that makes perfect sense and i I love that you drew that correlation to with uh, the customers coming to them as being the primary the primary driver, their primary identifier there for those particular opportunities so yeah, yeah that's that makes yeah. perfect sense
1: yeah, is all of these office landlords now know, uh, this will be Stuart's third rule of real estate, whatever business your tenant is in,
2: you're into. Yeah, so, um, that makes sense. Are there any other Stuart real estate tenants <laughs> that we should know?
1: <laughs> oh, probably. <laughs> they just said, "Or come to me.
2: But I, those are the three main ones.
1: Make your money on the buy. And it is location. The, the other thing is I should back up. I'm close to Huntsville, and Huntsville is one of our markets. And especially down here in the South, we've acted like there wasn't much of a pandemic since about June of 2020 anyway. Hardly anybody really stopped going to work down here. And there is this sector in Huntsville, that's the defense industry. Most people are, know that you got groups like Boeing and all work with NASA and Lockheed. And all, and they have these things called a SCIF, which is signals blocking technology where you can go in and work. Your cell phone's not allowed. You don't have any internet in there, but you're required to work there. And so these are places, once again, where the employee must go. We are pursuing a, a deal or two in the research park area because uh, you've got these great big AAA credit tenants in there and the employees have to be there because it's national security implications so that uh, so uh, that would be a that would be a a footnote to the class A uh office thing that I said before so yeah. again it's location
0: all right so if you want to learn more from Stuart or if you want to follow him go ahead and check him out at StuartHeath.com and his company website is harvardgrace.com. Again, harvardgrace.com. And again, if you are a business owner looking to grow your net worth by investing into real estate, go ahead and check us out at investinsquarefeet.com. We are a group of business owners who are all investing in real estate opportunities together.